Hello and welcome to Series 2 of the Poolside Pass podcast. Before we get into uh, the first episode, uh, I just want to say thank you for your support through lockdown towards the end of Series 1. Um, we had loads and loads of people uh, listening to the episode, so that was great. Uh, great to have so many people engaging with the podcast through that through that period of time. Uh, I'm aware now that we're into September and a lot of people are back in the pool, um, but I just want to uh, take a minute um, for those that, that that aren't back in the pool just yet um, and wish them all the best in, in fighting to get their centres back open and, and get their pool time uh, back online. Uh, in today's episode, I'm joined by Sean Kelly, who was uh, Performance Director at Stockport Metro. Uh, he's now just recently taken on a new role uh, with the Spanish Federation for Swimming as National Performance Director. I'm going to be speaking to Sean about relationships, coaching relationships, not only with athletes, but with other coaches, committee members, parents, etc., etc. Uh, before we get into the episode, here's just a quick line from our sponsors, Streamlined. Become a qualified swimming teacher with Streamlined in as little as six days. Learn at your own pace and be guided by our expert tutors. You can do your training face-to-face, online in real-time, or a combination of the two. Assessment can be in your club using videos or attending one of our assessment venues. We offer tailored, high-quality support. Quote the poolside pass for an extra 10% discount. Okay, so I think it's about time I introduce Sean to the podcast. Sean, welcome. How are you doing? Thanks, Jamie. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. So why don't we just start by um, just getting a, a brief history of, of you in, in the sport of swimming, really? Okay, uh, I was a swimmer at um, the city of Manchester swimming club in um the 80s 70s oh my gosh 70s 80s and uh, i was also a member of withinshore swimming club so i'm a manchester boy and um i left swimming due to a pool accident and uh, where the chlorine was uh, dangerously high and ended up in hospital and that ended my swimming career and i drifted out of swimming for pretty much 10 years um uh in the meantime i'd been to college and had become a tax man and uh then left the tax office and went to australia via india nepal thailand malaysia singapore indonesia etc and uh that was an incredible uh, experience for me um i didn't have a, obviously any work during that period and it yeah it really it really made me grow up and i highly recommend travel for for people um you know i think sometimes a lot of people seem to get into the education go to university start work and then never get the opportunity to see life on the other side of the world and and do something where you have time to think, you have time to reflect, you have time to learn about different cultures. And, and for me, that it was absolutely massive. I mean, I, I was, I'm straight out with and sort of thing. And, you know, being stood in, the, in a market in the middle of Delhi in, you know, with my white socks pulled up and my Reebok trainers when, you know, there is just what I thought was madness all around me was, was, um, was, was eye opening and, and it, it it really made me grow up quickly. So I went to Australia from, from this 
period of travel and, and, and sort of fell back into to swimming through teaching. And it was um, a really beautiful thing, you know, learning to teach somebody to swim. I knew straight away from that very moment that that's what I was going to do because it was the first time I'd done a job where I actually felt I'd, it, it was, you know, it became vocational. It, it was something that I got something out of. Whereas being a tax man, I mean, I'd worked behind a bar. I worked in Tesco's, you know, done, done all those jobs. I, I couldn't, you didn't get, you didn't give something in those jobs necessarily, but you really gave something when you taught somebody to swim, a life skill that, you know, literally could save the life. So I got into it there and uh, then became an age group coach. And I did pretty well, really, for the couple of years that I did it. And um, I then came back to England and worked at a Jewish school and then worked at Stockport Metro. I tried to get a job at Bolton, but they didn't want me. And I tried to get a job at Salford and they didn't want me. <laughs> um, Dave Calais, God bless him, gave me a job. And um, I started work for Stockport Metro in, in 95. And I... Um, well, 94, I started at Grand Central, but I was a lifeguard first. So I then, uh, I then started working in 95 and I became head coach in January 2001. Wow. And the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> so um, we're going to talk today about, about relationships and kind of relationships that you build within coaching. Um, Relationships are a big part of, of coaching. Um, coaches, I think, nowadays need to be you know, relationship experts to navigate the journey with each and every athlete that, that they coach. How can being like proficient in managing those relationships make or break a, a coach's career? Oh, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's such a massive part of well, just not just coaching but life and, and and communicating with people with 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 sport is 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 part it's not part of it it's everything about what you need to do it's a uh, critical skill if you can't communicate effectively you will not be a great coach that's just it um Gennady Turetsky famously said Coaching is the three C's, communication, communication, and communication. And um, that's always at the forefront of my mind. You have to sell a dream to a swimmer. You have to tell a swimmer the truth. You have to sometimes read the right act. You sometimes have to pull them, you know, up off the floor. Um, you have to convince them to do things that they just don't want to do. They convince them things that they might not even believe in. Um, so, you know, sometimes you're a salesman. Sometimes you're a psychologist. Sometimes, you know, you are that coach. You're the, the physiologist, the biomechanist, the biomechanist. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're, the, you're their brother, you're their friend, you're their father figure. Um, and sometimes, obviously, you end up the enemy. And, yeah. um, and that's always a difficult place to end up but it does happen hopefully temporarily but um <laughs> sometimes not because you can't please all of the people all of the time yeah um, so yes communication and, and the relationships that you build with with your athletes are 
it, it's beyond friendship. It's, it's, it's not friendship. It's, it's beyond anything else you really experience. Because, the, you know, the de very definition of the word coach is, is you know, derived from a, a Hungarian town called Kochi. And it was brought into the English language at uh, Oxford University. And, and the, the students there started calling their tutors coaches, as in that it was, they were there to take them through their exams. And... I'm very mindful of that, is that we take our athletes like a coach driver on a journey. We're taking them from where they are to where they want to be. And that's our job. Uh, you know, you could maybe call us glorified Uber drivers, but <laughs> there's so much more involved in that journey. That journey is not, you know, it isn't from a simple point of A to B. That journey has so many ups and downs and so many intricacies and different nuances and you know, emotional ties, nothing straightforward. And it doesn't matter who you are. Bob Bowman will tell you as many downtimes with Michael Phelps as he will tell you of uptimes. You know, and he was the greatest athlete there's ever been. For every, you know, for every great athlete I've had, there's always been a moment of challenge and always been times where it, it wasn't smooth water and, and the waters were choppy and it was difficult. And, you know, I had to push them and, and occasionally an athlete's had to push me. Um, and, and that's how, you know, my relationship with Steve Parry, I don't see Steve every week, but I have a bond with him that no one else knows about because no one else can describe it. Yeah. It, it's, it's incredibly special. And the same with, you know, James Goddard and Cassie and Kerry Ann and, and all my swimmers. And, you know, and all my staff who, who know what, it, what it's been like. Um, because it is, a, you know, it's an, it's a sport is an epic thing. You know, they make films about sportsmen, you know, for very good reason. Yeah. <laughs> but sportsmen are living it. They're living history. Filmmakers, they're just acting. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people are making history in, in the water, on, on football pitches and basketball pitches and on the track, they are making history. And, you know, and people who make films about it are just acting. And, and I've been very, very privileged to, to work at such an incredible club and to represent my country as a coach um, at the Olympics and, and, and not only do that, but, but do really well when I got there. So, yeah, relationships are absolutely critical. They're the most important thing about being a coach. So you spoke there about, you know, you, you've got this um, unique connection with, you know, Steve Parry, James Goddard, Cassie Patton, Kerry Ann Payne. How different are those individual relationships? How do you need to be able to, to kind of be different with, with each athlete and still have a, a solid relationship there? Yeah, that's, that's the thing about becoming a senior coach is you no longer are talking to a class of 12-year-olds in the same tone, getting them to obey you. Yeah. You know, it's not a dictatorial environment. They pass a certain age and all of a sudden what you're saying to them means something and, and they question it. Well, why are we doing that? When you've got to tell them. And yeah. why are you doing that and you doing that? So why are they doing different things? Why do I shout at 
um, Steve Parry, where I was, I would never shout at Kerry Ann Payne. Why would I do that? It was because I know one will react a different way. And if I shout at one, I won't get the reaction I want. Yeah. Um, Stuart Broad last uh, two weeks ago was dropped from the England side. And, you know, if I dropped an athlete from the team or told them they couldn't swim in a meet, I better know that I'm going to get a good reaction from that and not a bad one. And Stuart Broad came back in the next test last week and absolutely was on fire because whoever dropped him knew they'd get that reaction, or at least I hope that's what, what they did it for. Um, and, and it's very much, you know, that's very much in the relationship mode is, is knowing your athlete, knowing you, you don't know them straight away. You've got to take time. But once you've, once you, you figure that out, then, um, then you can communicate with them on an individual basis, the way you should, of course, the whole group gets it sometimes. That's just the way it is. Um, but you know, that, that is, I'm sure every single coach knows that feeling when, when you feel like the whole squad aren't on, on point. Um, and, you know, you might have to make them start again. You might have to say goodbye for that day and I'll see you tomorrow and let's have a bit better attitude tomorrow. But that's just, just the way it goes. But generally, knowing your athletes individually and developing relationships individually and having that little quiet word one-to-one um, is where you make your, your biggest gains, really. And you, know, you, you say you'd you'd shout at Steve Parry, but but you wouldn't shout at, at someone else. Would um, would there be you know, being quite generic here? You know, a, a big difference between how you manage um, a coach athlete relationship with a male swimmer compared to how you manage a coach athlete relationship with a female swimmer. Are there any differences with how you know you need to kind of tailor that relationship you have with, with them? I actually used to think so. I used to think it was gender specific, mm -hmm. but it isn't because gender is just, is just a term. Um, we can pigeonhole somebody as being female when actually they behave exactly the same way as a male does. Yeah. And yet, Oh no, well, they're female, so we have to treat them that way. We don't have to treat them anyway because they're female or male. Absolutely not. We have to treat them the way we need to treat them as individuals. And I've only really realized that since I've been studying psychology. Um, and it's, I kick myself really because people say, you know, I've heard this term challenge the boys, love the girls. And, and that's right for some, but it's not right for all. Yeah. You know, I've had plenty of girls who love a challenge. Holly Hibbert, my God. You know, I don't need to love Holly Hibbert. Holly, Holly, obviously, every needs a bit of love, but Holly's not that sort of girl. She, she needs a challenge. She absolutely wants a challenge. Yeah. And um, so for me, it really is, is trying to take gender out of the equation. And, you know, I... I my success isn't male or female. My, my success is both. Yeah. Both sexes. And um, I've never really thought about it, but I guess I'm quite proud of that. You, you say you've only recently been, been studying psychology in more depth. How much of what you've come across, you know, in, in the last few years studying, studying psychology, 
do you wish you'd have you'd have known earlier on in your career been able to apply it play it earlier on yeah i i think a lot of it comes with maturity as well the older you get all of a sudden the penny sort of drops on a lot of things um you know the ability to 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 not beat yourself up and the ability to be able to say no to people is, is, is skills that I only learned in my forties. And, um, I, 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 you know, I, I guess I could have used these skills, but the reality, you know, I can't turn the clock back. That's just the way it was. Um, there are certain, certain parts which I've just mentioned to, you know, about, about gender that, I think are really important for people to bear in mind that just because you're female doesn't mean that you can't do something. And, and just because you're male doesn't mean that you can't do something or you can do something. Treat everybody as individuals. We, that's exactly what we are. Um, I think psychology has given me, um, reinforced a lot of things, you know, particularly like body language wise is that, when when an athlete rocks up to training and you without even thinking you know something's wrong you don't consciously go is there something wrong with that person just by their body language a good coach will go bang there's yeah. something wrong and um exploring that and trusting your gut because sometimes you you don't challenge it you just think oh maybe it's me but trusting your gut on that you, you your gut won't be wrong Body language is one of the most powerful tools um, humans use. Uh, it, it's an, an, an instinctive thing that we just have. We don't have to learn it. It's just there. Yeah. But just trust your instinct on that. And if you look like somebody's not right, you, you, you'll be right 100%. They might not be prepared to tell you because they might put up their barriers. But, you know, that, that means that you've got to put it in the back of your mind. And when the opportunity is right, the moment's right, make sure you have a chat with that person. and and make sure everything's okay but at least then as well i guess even if in that moment if they're not comfortable to come forward and discuss something with you at least then by acknowledging that, that you know something's up with them they get that impression that our coach coach can tell something's up and he actually they actually care about the fact that something's not right so that's that right. builds a little bit of trust as well there as well that's right that's right i think there were times when i coached when i How would I put this? I was different. I had a different... I've always cared. I've always cared deeply um, about my swimmers and about my career and about my club and, you know, the image that we would would want to portray. But I didn't always... Um, and it's and it's right to do this as well. It, it, sometimes it, you've just got to say, you've got to get on with this. I don't care how you're feeling because your feelings are irrelevant at this particular moment we've got a job to do and we need to get on with it if you want to talk about your feelings we'll do it later now that won't always work because sometimes feelings are so powerful that they start to dominate your your you know your physiology as as, as well as your psychology so you know there are moments where you say you know i, I don't care what you're thinking or feeling this we got to get on with it i think the younger i was the better I was at getting that to happen. Yeah. Um, whereas now maybe I, 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 I will engage with, with the athletes sometimes, maybe at a more inappropriate time when, you know, we, we do have a job to do and we, we've got to get on with it. But, um, you know, it's always a balancing act. But. Absolutely. Um, 
aside from obviously you know the, the big relationships we have to have is, is with, with our athletes in our in our roles as, as coaches you know with, there are other peoples that we have to have to have these kind of these relationships with talking about you know if you're on a club that has a committee your, your committee members obviously your other coaches on your coaching team you know parents of athletes or if you've got more senior professional athletes and agents of those athletes how can you effectively you know, try and navigate these things and, and make sure that you bring everyone with you on, on that journey well that i mean that's just such a steep learning curve um when you first get involved with swimming i i didn't understand that parent thing when i first started but wow <laughs> parents just i i can't remember the name but i remember reading it in some paper this is a long time ago now but there is a blind spot a parent has when it comes to their, seeing their kids doing something wrong. I think it was yes. a study in football where parents actually believe their kids were way better than the evidence clearly suggested. Yeah. And that is something you've got to, to see. What I didn't really get at the beginning of swimming coaching was the love that parents have for their kids, the love that is the strongest thing you can possibly imagine. And when you love something that much, obviously, you know, you people would die for their kids, literally. So you took dealing with very, very strong emotional ties. And, um, you know, some parents learn to hand over to the coach and let the coach get on with it and accept that their child has to develop. And some don't, and they never will. Yeah. Because they can't let go of of that child, and they feel that as parents they can influence the coach to maybe behave differently around their child, or promote their child more, or get them to do something else. And and it's just a really difficult um, landscape to navigate. And I, I'll be honest with you, even in the past few months of my time at Stockport, it's. I've had, I've had problems with parents still. Um, and I kind of understand it, you know. I, like I said before, you're dealing with the most precious thing to them. And I don't take that lightly at all. I, I appreciate that. But, you know, we can, only do, we can only do what we can do. And sometimes we make mistakes. But generally in the main, I think coaches are have only their kids' best interests at heart. I think when you're dealing with um, committees, we're very fortunate at Stockport that we managed to negotiate and navigate our way away from a parent-run program to a professionally-run committee. Yeah. So, and that was one of the first things myself and, um, and Julie Bennett did at Stockport. We, we got a professional committee. And that's a massive, massive step forward for any club. Um, and then obviously you, you have work colleagues to work with and, and then agents. I only really experienced agents late, very late on in, in my career. And I think I was pretty fortunate with the, the agents that I had, but what, one thing I didn't appreciate possibly was, um, the pull that not the agent so much, but the pull that finance can have on an athlete. Yeah. That all of a sudden, training does take a back seat. 
no matter how you try and dress it up, um, you know, swimming will, oh yeah, but, but it's for this amount of money. So that will take precedent. Yeah. And, um, and it, you know, that's a very real thing. And I'm not saying they shouldn't earn money. I hundred percent, I'm a hundred percent in favor of it. Uh, 100 and it's this this the the best thing about the isl is that that swimmers are finally getting what they deserve i i'm so and it and, and of course and it's still swimming so maybe that means if they earn money with the isl that they don't have to go and open a car showroom up or a local supermarket or whatever um, that what they're doing and being paid for and well paid for is still involved in the sport that they love. And not only that, the, the ISL pay, pay the coaches. So the coaches feel part of that, yeah. that whole journey. So the ISL has been an absolute revelation for me. A hundred percent I'm into it. And um, I just hope it continues to grow. Um, I know Fina and uh, Len and, you know, a lot of governing bodies are probably a little bit worried about it, but for me, I think it's only going to be a good thing. Absolutely. Um, you spoke there about, obviously, you have to have relationships with, with other coaches as well. At, at Stockport, I imagine you had quite a quite a big coaching team around you. Mm. Um, how do you, you know, how do you manage the relationships within that within that coaching team if it, if it gets so big? Well, we, you know, we had. Um, and any of the coaches that were there at the time, Lucas Martin, Richard, Julie, Emma, Sarah, um, Liam, they'll all tell you that we Thursdays were, were performance day, performance coaching meetings. And boy, oh boy, did we go for it on those days. You know, it was, um, you talk about, you know, we would, we would mark each other on, on how they behaved in front of everyone for the week. Oh, wow. There was no hiding. That, that and level. It was, I'm telling you, it was intense. It was, it was emotional. It was invasive almost. Um, and it was challenging in the extreme on some days, especially when somebody had really stepped out of line. Um, but boy, oh boy, was it good. And um, we, we have had at that time some exceptional coaches who are still exceptional coaches by the way um and exceptional people and um I, there won't be anybody who much as it's a difficult thing to do there won't be anybody who'll tell you that they didn't get a lot out of it because we, we did it, it, it what we did was i mean it was groundbreaking it really was and um yeah it was it one of the highlights of my career was setting up the, these meetings on a Thursday. And, um, you know, I still, I still get a funny feeling in my stomach thinking about some of the things that we discussed because we, we were just absolutely ruthless with each other. But we built such a great platform that we knew that we'd walk out the door and what, and what, what we said to, and the criticism we made, or not necessarily criticism, but the what we picked up about their behavior and their actions during the week was not to point the finger at them. It was to tell them as a friend that you can do better than that. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it was at the beginning, it was so difficult. 
Um, but then we built a platform where it was really easy to communicate that, you know, yeah. that you could say to a coach, Hey, look, you know, for three days in a row now, every time I've walked past you, you've, you've had a face on you, like, like your backside and you, you need to change it because it's not a good image for, for our coaches to convey. In. And then they would say, yeah, I should have told you, but I split up from my girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, all right, okay. Well, why don't you tell somebody? Because we would have got you back, you know. And you know, and it just we were we became able to 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 get to get to get into to things that maybe sometimes at work it sometimes at work it's a superficial hi, good, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Well, there's none of that. There's none of that. Stockport. It was, are you good? And you go, I'm not really. Why? What's up? And we could talk straight away. So it was great. And coaching's so tough, man. Boy, getting up and, you know, lack of sleep, parents in your ear, bad results, some, whatever, the pool broken, whatever it is. I mean, now COVID and whatever, it's, um, it's, a tough, it's a tough gig. But being able to speak to your colleagues and know that they've got your back was, um, is something very, very special. I suppose, yeah, you know, various times for, for your career, Stockport, you would have had, you know, new coaches join join the program and come into that environment. How was it for them on their very first kind of performance coaching meeting? You know, how how do some people take to coming into that environment? Probably best ask somebody else this question. <laughs> we didn't always do that. That was something we developed. But what I will say is anybody who came to work sort of for me, and bear in mind, I worked initially for someone. I worked for Dave Kalea. Dave was and is a genius. And, but Dave is incredibly demanding of me. Um, incredibly demanding. Uh, not just of me, but of everybody. Yeah. Um, and it was a, he, he was difficult to work for because he expected his standards were like up here. And if you didn't meet his standards, boy, you were in for it. <laughs> and, um, but did he, took, he taught me so much. Um, and and, and when, when I took over from Dave, I was a bit like Dave initially. Um, and I think that's just kind of the way I rolled. But then I, I became myself a little bit more. And I think, you know, certainly with, with Ben, I, ben Lafferty, I allowed Ben to to be, be his own coach and um, we had a great relationship and still do and then with Richard when Richard came in I basically said to Richard when he walked in the door right I'm looking after these swimmers you're going to run the club if you've got any problems <laughs> let me know but it's over to you and he was like what and, and that's the way it was and, and, and Rich quickly had to learn you know and, and I hope uh, Rich will say that I allowed Richard to make mistakes and I allowed him to make, you know, the way to learn is to allow somebody to make mistakes like we all do. I've made plenty, um, but not beat them up over it. Just let them do it and, and, and let them move on and learn from it. And, and that's exactly what, what happened with Rich and Rich, Richard Blackshaw. My gosh, what, you know, one of the best human beings I've ever had the privilege to, uh, to work with um, an outstanding man in integrity. He had the lot and Richard was, um, you know, the greatest sort of supporter of me that I could have possibly 
asked for and, and he was a superb coach and swim england really i've got an, an outstanding individual with, with richard he, he's, he's truly outstanding yeah i think i've heard, I've heard richard speak a number of times and always been really impressed with with how he, how he carries himself and, and how he speaks so i can imagine it'd be you know great to work with mm. i just want to cast back ever so quickly to um to speaking about relationships you, you have with with athletes how do you i want to say cope but i don't think cope's the right word but how do you manage it when you've built up this you know great relationship with an athlete and you've achieved you achieve great things and then for one reason or another maybe they move to another program to, to a national center or, or, or they leave the sport how is how was handling that in terms of having to kind of let go of that yeah how's that that's just the hardest thing any coach will tell you that um i haven't had many you know retiring is one thing mm-hmm. a swimmer retiring is one thing that's them retiring yeah a swimmer leaving you to go to another coach because they believe in that program more is another thing them leaving the program because of your relationship breaking down is again another thing yeah um them leaving you because of a geographical move or whatever they're all different there's no sort of there's no rules for this but they're all equally difficult to deal with you know when when steve parry and graham smith um and adrian turner all retired in one go oh wow um oh it was like <laughs> dave carry uh dan slowinski um carry on pain uh sophie allen uh michael rock all left in a summer so and james got a a, a, a couple of years later i mean Jeez, how do you how do you carry on from that? It, it, it was difficult, and each one of those is diff- different. You know, Dan Slowinski retired, Sophie Allen moved to Bath, um, Dave Carey retired, uh, Michael Rock moved to Liverpool, didn't want to do an event I wanted him to, to carry on doing. Um, who else was there? Uh, Carrie Ann got married to Dave Carey, so they moved to Scotland. Well, they're all difficult. You know, the, the, the thing is, is I was left with a pool with not many kids in. So both in 2004 and in 2012 were incredibly challenging years. But you get over it and then new people pop on the scene and, you know, Lauren Quigley joined and Harry Needs and, you know, Holly Hibbert then joined. And, and likewise in 2004, Carrie Ann missed out on Athens. But then she became more of the focus. Michael Rock joined 2006. Cassie Patton joined 2007. And your team, if you've got the right environment, you know, they will come and they will succeed. And, yeah. and I think Stockport's managed to prove that over the years with a, success, a succession of athletes over and over again. It's not been one athlete success program. Absolutely not. And I'll tell you what, we've had three-fourths at the Olympics. So our medal tally should, should be different to what it is, and it's still blowing. 
annoys me now. So, um, yeah, we, we, we've done it with a numer numerous athletes over numerous distances and events. And like I said before, with different sexes. So it's something that Stock not just me, Stockport should be really, really proud of because I couldn't have done it without the likes of Julie and the support from Life Leisure and the, the council prior to Life Leisure. And then the people who behind the scenes back you when, you know, people are cutting money left, right and centre. Yeah. Um, I mean, when the National Centre left left Stockport, well, what should have happened is they should have said, see you later, Sean. Well, they didn't. Yeah. They went, oh, we're going to carry on. Um, so, you know, a lot of people behind the scenes need a lot of thanks as well and, uh, and, and, and a lot of credit for, for what we did. And I guess that's, again, partly down to the fact that over, over the time you, you'd been there, you'd, you'd built up a kind of working relationship with them and, and that they knew that if, if they backed you, if things, things would eventually again start to turn around and, and work out again. So again, it's down to that building up with, with people. Yeah, it's long-term thinking and, and make, you know, having that strategy there and, and like I say, the environment. And it's still there at Stockport. It's absolutely still there. The framework is still there. We've got little, you know, different people in, uh, in situ, but, you know, it will, it will continue. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to speak about. I think um, you mentioned when we had a conversation earlier about something you want to speak about in terms of uh, truth-telling, rackets, myth-busting. Um, and you, you didn't go into detail, so let's, uh, let's catch up on a bit of that now. Yeah, so part of my psychology and part of my own development has been looking at the things that we, we don't talk about um now mental health is 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 very topical at the moment but i'm not really talking about mental health as such mm -hmm. um i have been fortunate to meet a fellow called jim mcneesh who runs a um a coaching business i guess called niche and i've been fortunate enough to to speak with him and and, and meet with him and go to some conferences he's put on and he's very keen on talking about your shadow you know the side that you don't want to portray mm -hmm. the side that we hide from the world you know um the, the side that i'm hiding now <laughs> you know and it's true we, we all have it the bit that we don't really want to talk about ourselves that we know is in there uh but it's something that we don't want to uh discuss and he's very very good at um you know, making, giving that, that shadow a platform and, and having somebody that you can become vulnerable about that with. Yeah. And, you know, you, with, with coaching, there are certain athletes that they want to tell you everything. They absolutely do. Well, not everything, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Some, some are an absolute open book and some, my God, you find things out about them 20 years after you've coached them. I never knew that was going on for you at the time. Yeah, it was. So um, it, it's difficult. But I think revealing your shadow and your vulnerable side is, is a great way to get into somebody's, um, not get into it, but to become become part of them and become part of their journey and become somebody that they feel they can really that they know really got their back yeah 
and you know i've opened up to to people about you know things i've had going on in my my life and probably with with without that i mean i don't know what i'd be doing at the moment but i've really had to uh do that at a point in my life a long time ago now but it was absolutely the best thing i ever did mm. was having somebody that i could trust and talk to and reveal to them you know what was going on for me because um i thought i was the only person in the world that felt like that of course now i know it, it i wasn't uh and um there are probably millions of people like that but yeah. i think the reason I, 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 I want, want to mention it is because as a coach, you don't need to have all the answers. You know, and I remember for years, somebody had fired a question at me and I was physically incapable of saying, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody looked up to me. I was in charge and I had to know the answers. So somebody would come up and go, coach, Blah, 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 blah. And I'd be inside going, oh, my God, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. And then I'd just, I'd be an autopilot. I'd tell them what to do, and that was that. Um, it's okay to say, ah, oh God, I don't know. Can I think about it? You know, it's okay to say, mm, I'm not an expert in this field. We need to find somebody who is. Um, and... You know, part part of that is is being having the courage to do it. Well, that's and part of that is also being real and being able to sort of be vulnerable and say, "Look, I'm I'm a swimming coach. I am not a psychologist, or I am not X." Um. And wh when you develop a deeper relationship with that, and when when you're comfortable with able to be like that around people, um, you you can very quickly do a bit of myth busting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, because people sometimes are just not telling you the truth. Um, you know, a classic saying, how are you? Fine. If they say they're fine, they are not okay. Yeah. It's just the rule. And it might not be fine. It might be another word they use. But, but you know, being able to say, you know, coach, look, I'm really not all right today. Um, you know, you're really, you're really getting under my skin or I think the work you're giving me is too hard or my dog's not very well or uh, I hate my mum at the moment or blah, blah, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I'm absolutely shattered or whatever it is. You have to take into to account three things. Um, I only thought there was really one thing that counted in swimming, which is physiology. That's when I was young and I knew everything. <laughs> I knew absolutely, when I started coaching, I swear, I knew more than anyone else in the world. And it was all about the physiology and the times and the stroke rates and the blah, 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 blah. Now, the older I've got, I realized that the physiology is one part and the psychology was another part. Now I left the psychology to psychologists who I didn't trust and I didn't like, but as long <laughs> as my, my athlete turned up on deck, then psychologists had a part to play. <clears throat> the psychology for me was preparation. If you were prepared, you were psychologically ready. And that's where it ended. Now the older I've got still <laughs> in the next decade of my coaching, 
Um, psychology was something that I actually embraced. And I discovered this other thing of the social side, the, the sociology of it. Yeah. And the sociology of the athletes is equally, and I, when I say equally, I mean equally important. How they got on with the people they're training with in their lane, how they got on with you, how they are getting on with their parents or their boyfriend or whoever, or the governing body is as much of a problem as their psychology is if, if it's not going well. Yeah. They are equal parts of a three, three pronged approach, social, psychological, and physiological. And it's only now I've discovered it. And uh, that's probably one thing I wish I'd learned earlier. Because I didn't, even if somebody had told me this 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed him because, oh, what a load of mumbo jumbo, get on with it. Yeah. Uh, but, but now I, I firmly believe in it. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have a, you know, a deep meeting every week, and, but you don't have to do that. But you've got to get your relationship with your senior athletes to a point where you can talk, you know? <laughs> to any of my athletes are listening to this they'll bloody silly never talked at me shouting at me um, <laughs> but you know with some athletes I would shout at them but I know how to get them eventually to open up that's just the yeah. way our dialogue would work it'd be a bit of jousting and, and, and we'd get to it so that really is uh, in, a, in a nutshell what I meant cool so we always at the end of the, each episode, we always ask our guests to sum up their, their topic in, in three key points. Um, what would be your, your three points for having successful relationships uh, within coaching? My three things is educate. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself. Coaches are brilliant at that, by the way. They are brilliant self-educators. Because yeah. if you tell a coach... If you do this set this way, you, this athlete did it, they will do it. If you say to, you know, they are just masters at absorbing information. So educate, educate yourselves, but educate your athletes. More importantly, don't keep it in there, in your head. Verbalize what you've learned to your coaches, to your staff, and most importantly, your swimmers and your parents. Yeah. Um, the second one I would say was inform. So inform people of why you are doing things. Inform your club of why you are doing things. Because we sometimes just expect people to read our minds. Mm. Um, we're very good at that. So why are we doing this program? Why are we swimming this time? Why are we training at these hours? Why are we're doing this sort of work this week. Just make sure that you inform them why. Um, and the final thing that you need to do is, as a coach is inspire. You have to have that ability to inspire the people around you and, and the people in the water. And for me, that, my inspiration a lot of time would come from, you know, sometimes setting up a session. So on a Wednesday, I might be doing a prep set for something on Friday. So I've sown the seed in their mind that this is the big thing. On Friday, we're doing this for this reason and blah, blah, blah. So on Wednesday, I'm already, I'm already chipping away. 
Yeah. And Thursday would be another builder. So tomorrow's the day, tomorrow's the day. And this is only a training set. But then on, on Friday night, I am, I am on stage. I am all guns blazing. I'm running around like full of energy, times, rates, well done, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, you inspire athletes and you create for that moment for those, you know, few minutes really because your main set's probably not going to last too much longer than an hour. And it has to be a moment where it is the best thing they've ever done. It is the it is a world-class moment and you've been part of that and they've contributed to part of creating an epic moment. And then the more of those that you have in training, the more confidence that builds and the inspiration then comes from the ability to go to a meet and everything that you practiced in those world-class moments during the season and your preparation for races you don't have to say to an now remember to do this and remember to do that and remember if you're still saying that and teaching them something new tactically before a race you've not coached them you know your inspiration w- will will happen long before the meet so that you got to the meet and you can say right you know what to do yeah remember what we tr- remember what do you remember that set that day and they got it and and they they can go in and, and execute the plan hopefully as well as they possibly can and and um and that's it you know inspiration is um is what it's all about excellent so educate inform inspire yeah they are sean kelly's tips for for world domination Uh, (laughs) sean Thank you so much for your time today. Um, wish you well in the future with your, your new role with um, the Spanish Swimming Federation. Um, listeners, thank you so much uh, for your time. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just want to point you towards our social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Poolside Pass. And of course, our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com. From me and from Sean, it's, uh, it's goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.